0: Welcome to the Ivy Church Podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I want to commend you and, and the few folks that I've met. Everybody's been brilliant. Everybody has said Guy. Usually, I get Guy. Here, Britain, I know that's the default. That's where everybody's inclined. I come from French ancestry, so the French pronunciation of Guy is Guy. And and if you're struggling, uh, we were just in Italy. They pronounce all the vowels, so they call me Guy. So, gee, guy, gooey, I'll answer to all three. But if you do gooey, you have to wiggle your wrist because gooey, uh, Benny. Just for a moment, would you look at your neighbor and smile? And imagine what your life would be like if they were a kinder person. Now, before you say anything, be very careful if you're sitting beside your spouse. Uh, to move this forward, I, I have to tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up in an unchurched family. And uh, in my mid teens, I started going to a non denominational high school ministry. I had no interest in God whatsoever. I went to that group for one reason, one reason only. There were lots of pretty girls there. And I thought, I might have a chance, because there weren't many guys. Now, it didn't take very long before I was really taken with the quality of their friendships. The guys that I was hanging around with, weren't kind. We'll just leave it there. But in this youth group, they loved one another. I didn't know it then, but, but that's how the ancient church father Tertullian described the early church to the Romans. See how they love one another. Love is, always has been, the most compelling gospel witness and that's what I was seeing in this youth group, their, their love for one another, and their love for me. But when I looked in here in my heart, it, it, it wasn't pretty. A couple months later, I uh, got really drunk, and I watched the sunset, and in that kind of quiet place. I said, God, if you're there, I've made a mess of life. If, if you want mine, you can have it, you can do with it, whatever you want. It was a few days later that I told my new Christian friends what I'd done. They helped me make a little bit more orthodox confession of faith, filled in a few of the details. But it was two years before I ever went to church. One of our buddies in this youth group, one of my new friends, uh, was, uh, was born and raised in the church. He kept pestering us as a youth group to go and try his church. It was more to shut him up than any other reason. We finally relented. And one Sunday night, they had evening services, one Sunday night, 80 of us rocked up to this little Baptist church. And there were about 80 of them. And not sure, but I think we freaked them out more than they freaked us out. It was close. I didn't know it then, but the pastor called an emergency deacons meeting at the end of that church service. He was very discerning. He said, we can either make a whole lot of changes really quickly and perhaps have the privilege of discipling these kids, or we can stay just as we are, and we might as well kiss them goodbye now. Well, that pastor wasn't just discerning. He was also a pretty good preacher. And so, we were actually fairly keen to return the following Sunday night. And when we did, we were really impressed because... Twenty of us, give or take, had come that first Sunday on our motorcycles, and in the space of a week, they had repainted the church parking lot, and right in front of the main doors, they now had motorcycle parking, big sign on the wall, motorcycles only. After that second service, a couple approached us, Faye and Ray Binkley introduced themselves, asked after us a little bit. And Faye and Ray invited me and a few of my buddies to their house the following Friday night for a barbecue. After the barbecue, we sat at their dining room table and we played penny poker. Thereafter, every Friday night, almost every Friday night, we were at Fay and Ray's playing penny poker. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, But these were strict Baptists. They didn't play cards. They certainly didn't play poker. But their willingness to include us, their desire to have us in their homes on Friday nights rather than out running doing what we used to be doing, that radical inclusivity left a deep imprint on my spirit lest it be lost. Their practical kindnesses to us made all the difference in the world. In the years that followed, I somehow managed to drop the ball. I, I was working hard at memorizing Scripture, and um, just so there's no confusion, that's a good thing. I was actively witnessing to my university students. Again, that's a good thing. Part of the problem was that I was reading philosophy, so I was used to a good argument. In terms of my witnessing, Scripture was my ammunition. I gradually realized that the more Scripture I memorized, the meaner I got. And I realized it was me often attempting to ram graceless truth down people's throats in order to win an argument. I realized that you can't say you've won an argument if you've humiliated another person into defeat. Well, anchor these two contrasting stories in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Verses 14 and 16 through 18, the Word, Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. From his full store, we've all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, God's only Son. He who is nearest the Father's heart, he has made him known. Now, a couple of observations. There's a phrase there, grace and truth. Notice that it's not grace or truth. And notice that there's a divine order, grace before truth. Faye and Ray Binkley opened their hearts and they opened their homes to my buddies and me. And it was their kindness and their care, grace upon grace, that earned them the right to then speak truth into our lives. Had they told us straight up all that was wrong with us, we wouldn't have been seen again. They would have spoken truth, but we wouldn't have been around to receive it. Now. We need to employ a very sophisticated, technical, theological term here for the tension because it is a tension to hold grace and truth together. It's messy. Grace and truth for those whose life has been a mess. Grace and truth for those whose life is a mess. Grace and truth for those we are one dumb decision from making a mess of things. Um, in that survey, did I miss anybody? <laughs> are, are, are we all there? I mean, mess is, is pretty close at hand. Thing is, there's, there's something in us that doesn't like mess. Not even Bible translators. In Luke seven thirty six, that's the start of the story of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and then wiped his feet with her hair, wiped the tears of devotion with her hair. And in verse 37, the NIV introduces her as a woman who had lived a sinful life. Thing is... In the original Greek, the verb isn't in the past tense, had lived. The Revised English Bible, for instance, translates it correctly. This woman was living a sinful life. Some of you are going, "Eh, what's the deal? This is the difference between law and gospel. Because did this woman quit sinning, straighten out her life, get everything sorted, and then come to Jesus, or in the midst of the mess that she'd made of things, did she come to Jesus and receive the love and the acceptance that was only His to give? The good news is that she and we come from the midst of the mess that we've made of things. and That's why this divine order, grace before Truth. Let's shift things slightly. When somebody gets into trouble, when they really get into trouble, when, when they've made a mess of things, where do they generally head, to the pub or to church? When J.R. Moringer went to the pub, in his memoir, The Tender Bar, These are the opening lines. We went there, to the pub, for everything we needed. We went there when thirsty, of course, when hungry, when dead tired. We went there when happy to celebrate, when sad to sulk. We went there after weddings and funerals for something to settle our nerves and always for a shot of courage just before. We went there when we didn't know what we needed, hoping that someone would tell us. We went there looking for love, for someone who'd gone missing, because sooner or later everybody turned up. Most of all, we went there when we needed to be found. Quick moment of reflection. Is that how you think of this church? Do you come here for everything you need? Do you come here when you're thirsty? When you're hungry? When you're dead tired? Do you come when you're happy to celebrate? When sad, hopefully not to sulk, but to be comforted? Do you come for courage? Do you come when you don't know what you need hoping that someone will tell you do you come looking for love and most of all do you come needing to be found i think that's a terrific description of what church should be at the very least it's a telling description of what the world hopes the church would be, that embodiment of grace and truth. However, in the little book of Zechariah, there's a rather distressing phrase. It's a question, really. The prophet asks, What are these wounds? the answer is even more distressing, he says, I got them in the house of my friends. Now, please do not raise a hand, but how many of you have ever been wounded in church? How many of you know somebody who's been so wounded in church that they're not coming any longer? They won't come to church. there be folks who would name themselves the d churched still have a relationship with God, but will not darken the door of a church. And they've stopped going to church because somebody's hurt them. The Tear Fund did a survey several years back. They discovered that the d churched outnumber those who are ready Regular in church, are you ready for this? The de-churched outnumber the church two to one. There are twice as many wounded believers who won't come to church as there are faithful few. Now, with that stat in hand, a question. How many of those de-churched do you think were wounded Because of excessive kindness. Ever hear anybody mumble, if they're kind to me one more time, I'm out of here? How many of those folks do you think have been wounded by an abuse of the truth? I've certainly been subjected to graceless truth. Times when folks may have been right in what they were saying, but very wrong in the spirit in which that truth was delivered. That's why grace has to precede truth, or it's not good news, because it's the experience of grace that softens our hearts. It's the experience of grace that that opens our spirits. And with that softening and that opening, then we're able to hear a truth that then brings light and life. Otherwise, we're just too defensive. Just think of a critical moment in your life. When you most needed help, what was it that made the difference? certainly the people that have had the greatest impact on my life have done so because they loved me. In a moment of crisis, what made the difference was that somebody was there with me. Somebody was listening attentively. They demonstrated unconditional acceptance. They brought a revelation of the loving, kind heart of God to bear on what I was facing. They demonstrated practical kindness. And in those very critical times, as I look back on it, I very rarely remember anything that anybody said to me. I do remember the kindness. So far, so good? Galatians 5.19 The Apostle Paul listed some of the things that characterize the works of the flesh. It's not a particularly happy list. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalry, dissension, faction, envy and murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. Sorry. (laughs) Apologize. (laughs) Too fast for the translator. At the end of the day, that list is a description of life when we try to get our own way, when we try to meet our own needs, when we try to exercise control over somebody else. And the Apostle Paul was contrasting things there in Galatians, and having described the works of the flesh we would expect him then to describe the works of the Spirit. Grammatically, he should have balanced things, subject and predicate. But he didn't, and he didn't for good reason, because theology trumps grammar. There's a supernatural more to life. And so, not the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And at the end of the day, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, they are what make us truly human. They're what make us fully alive. But gritting our teeth and attempting to will Kindness or joy or peace isn't going to get us anywhere. Uh, spiritual hemorrhoids, maybe, but <laughs> those things peace, joy, kindness, love they're not work, they're fruit. So what? Well, in that same chapter, just a few verses earlier, verse 16, Paul said that we are guided by the Spirit. Verse 18, we're to be led by the Spirit. A few verses later, verse 25, the Spirit is the source of our lives. He's to direct its course. That because in Christ we live by the Spirit, chapter 6, verse 1. And bearing fruit, being guided, being led, being directed, living by the Spirit, all of that is intimately relational. And it's certainly not passive. We don't just sit there like lumps. Back to Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh all work social discord, They they describe relational distortion, relational breakdown. Sexual immorality is sex without intimacy. Sorcery is power and control over another. Strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness. When they're at work, they make a mess of our relationships. But in contrast, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, they all restore, they repair, they heal, they redeem our broken relationships. That's what the Spirit purposes for our lives. That's what the Spirit is guiding us into, leading us into, the healing, the redeeming, of our broken relationships. Nearly done. Let's go back, way back, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make human beings in our image after our likeness. There's an all-important distinction here between image and likeness. Every single human being is made in the image of God, even the most barbaric human being, the most inhuman human being. The trouble is they don't bear any likeness. The image of God denotes our potential for life in God. The likeness is the realization of that potential. And that, that's where we all live, in between image and likeness, potential and realization. And the Lord Jesus purposes is that our image be conformed into His likeness. The Apostle Paul declared the ultimate standard. If I have no love, I am nothing. If we're unloving, we still bear the image of God, but we don't have any likeness because God is love. We haven't lived up to our potential. So... What will your life look like a year from now? What will it be like in five years, in 10? For you as a church family, what will life be like a year from now, five, 10? Same answer, who knows? <laughs> I want to leave you with a question. Will you be kinder than you are presently a year, five, ten from now? Will you have realized some more of your potential in Christ and living out more of that likeness of the Lord Jesus responding to his spirit within you? Because God is kind. His loving kindness endures forever. We are made in His image. Again, the big question, do we bear any likeness? See, if we're not growing in kindness, we're doing something fundamentally wrong. Since Easter... Maddie's told me that you're working on a Crossroads series, how, how different people beheld the cross and then had to make a decision. Crossroads is just that, that, that place where a decision is required, where, where we make a choice one way or another. Kindness is a choice, and really, it's an easy one, because kindness isn't tricky. It, It doesn't even require very much discernment. It's actually quite difficult to get kindness wrong. But you do have to choose to be kind, to think for a moment about the other person, what it is they're facing, what it is they need, and how you think you might be able to come alongside. That does require a choice. And we're at that crossroads all the time, every single day, every single moment We choose to be kind. Commit to Kindness is the title of the first chapter of my new book. And we're so committed to kindness that we've created a logo and a small product line. Could you put that PowerPoint up for me, please? There it is. Little t-shirt line, the tagline on our website is Be The T. Because we realized that buying a t-shirt won't change the world. I do have to say that wearing that t-shirt has changed, is changing me. Because I'm very aware of what it is I'm broadcasting. And I know that I just can't keep doing my self-focused, self-attentive, self-directed life and be declaring commit to kindness. I have to slow down and crossroad after crossroad pay attention to the other person. The thing is, I'm a kinder person when my T-shirt's in the laundry basket because I know I own it. I know that this is a big deal. When Carrie and I are out together and she's wearing the T-shirt, I'm not, I still have to be a kinder person because I'm with her. (laughs) And the thing is, it's even changing the way I'm driving because I've given Carrie permission. And when I want to start ranting at some boy racer who's just cut me off, guess what? Somebody says, commit to kindness. (laughs) And I have it's changing it's slow but it's changing that change those kind of crossroad decisions are nothing short of transformative even revolutionary and again When I think back onto my dark and desperate times, the difference that somebody made in my life, they made because they went for a walk with me. Somebody fed me. Somebody took me out for a pint, again, I very rarely remember what anybody said to me. It was their practical kindness more than their wisdom that made the difference. I hope you'll buy a book. We brought a few t-shirts. We hope that there will be a revolution of kindness, one tea at a time. (laughs) Um, If you have a kindness story, would you go to my website, please, and, and just post it? We'd like to let them know. Because, again, it, kindness isn't tricky, but we do need encouragement. We do need help, sadly, because it doesn't come naturally. It's a supernatural grace. Just take a moment as we finish up, smile at your neighbor again. We are invited to play a part in a kindness revolution. We can change the world one act of kindness at a time. We're not on our own because it gives the Holy Spirit incredible pleasure to bestow on us the grace of excessive kindness. And who knows? whose life we might play a part in changing, in healing, in redeeming. I don't know you folks. I've only just met Maddie when we walked through the door. What I do know is that God is Kind. His kindness endures forever. His a kindness extends to each and every one of us. If you don't know the kindness of God, please understand He loves you so much that for whatever reason, you're here this morning to experience something of that kindness, whether it came through our worship, whether it came through, somebody is smiling at you as so you came through the door. You can experience something more of the kindness of God. The end of the service, just under the umbrellas here, the prayer team have yellow lanyards on. As As we come together in prayer, the Holy Spirit so often comes. That's who He is. That's what He does. And it's the kindness that changes our hearts. Prayer team, we'd love to pray that blessing upon you, that you know more of the kindness of God. Maybe you know the kindness of God, you've been walking with the Lord for years and years and years, but as Maddie said earlier, it's been hard. It's been hard for a long time. Come, stand with the prayer team. Let them... Pray blessing upon you in the midst of that hardness. And if you don't know Jesus, he is the kindest person you will ever meet. He wants to meet with you today. You've been very gracious to me as a stranger. As somebody who needs a translator, would you stand? If this has stirred something in your heart, and it is a matter of heart, would you put your hand on your heart? I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray and ask yet again for that grace of excessive Kindness. That's where this prayer is heading, so feel free to take your hand off your heart if that's not something you want. Heavenly Father, I don't believe there would be one of us here today who'd be here today if it weren't for kindness. Somebody reached out to us, somebody befriended us, somebody opened their hearts to us, somebody told us about your heart, about your love, about your grace. Somebody told us that we could have a place, that we could belong. Somebody helped us see that there was a way out of the mess that we'd made of things. and we believed them because we'd experience their kindness to us holy spirit we want to be those kind of people so this morning we ask for that grace of excessive kindness we give you permission at the crossroads of daily life, at those decision moments to stir us, to nudge us, to prompt us, to guide us, to lead us, to smile, to make eye contact, To help. To be a blessing. To make somebody feel welcome. Lord, an excessive kindness that that heals the heart and opens the spirit. Lord, we're asking that you do such a work in our hearts and in our spirits that your love flows through us more freely than it ever has done. So whatever you have to do in us, we give you permission that you can do all that you purpose to do through us. pray that you soften our hearts and you open our eyes. That Lord in the midst of the kindness you give us just the right words at just the right time. Holy Spirit that that you take our words that they be words of life. through grace and through truth together those around us might know the fullness of life that you purpose holy spirit we pray that you'd come and do this do all of this and that you do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine Jesus, that you'd be glorified. That you be glorified in our lives, in our homes, in our families. That you be glorified in this church family. That you be glorified now and forever. Lord, we bless your holy name. And again, we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.